Good morning, everybody. How are we? Okay? Yeah, I'm a little bit earlier this morning because I've got a lot to say. So I, um, I'll try not to bore you. I guess if you all get up and leave, it'd be a clue. But I've got faith you'll stay. How's your faith doing? You all right? Up there. Well, that's good. Good. Full of vigor. All right. Let's see how we get on to all this stuff. Um, uh, my title for this morning is It's Promised Land Time. And I want to share again this morning what I shared at the family meeting a few weeks ago on a Sunday evening. Uh, and then I also want to talk about God's miraculous provision just so everybody's up to speed with what's going on. Uh, first, I, I, I briefly want to talk about the strategies our enemy might use as we seek to move forward as a church. Because we're a people going forward. Yeah, okay. We're, we're a people on the move. People with momentum. I, I appreciate it's summertime, but we are, believe it or not, going forward into all God has for us. And uh, we need to uh, be aware of our enemy strategies. So I'm going to motor on quite a bit to get through all of this. Um, the talk will be on the web page as usual, but if you would like uh, my notes or if you'd like a copy of the PowerPoint that we're going to use, uh, please ask me or, uh, yeah, ask me because Jackie's away at New Day. So ask me and I'll arrange it for them to be sent to you. So enemy strategies. I felt God's been speaking to me um, for the last few weeks, really, about bringing a word of warning. Um, Because as the church seeks to go forward, uh, our enemy wants to spoil it. He wants to come and mess it up. And uh, we must remember that Satan was and is defeated fully at the cross. We have nothing to fear. We are in Christ. uh, He has won. Satan has lost. However, the whole thing has not been wrapped up yet. Jesus has not come again the second time. And so in the meantime, he comes and he, he, he tries to wheedle in and spoil things. He wants to spoil our peace, our faith, and our unity. Uh, I don't know if you've ever found, perhaps even more so of late, odd thoughts come to your mind. We all get odd thoughts, don't we? Or am I the only one who gets odd thoughts? We all get odd thoughts, but sometimes you find they come to your mind and they, they begin to question things and bring uncertainty in. Before long, you talk yourself into, into doubt. Um, perhaps we doubt other people's motives and so on. Perhaps we hear rumors that unsettle us and so forth. Well, you may even find that some people irritate us more than usual. Do you, do you find that? Do, do, does anybody ever suffer from being irritated by people? Hallelujah, at least I'm normal. Right. Great grace to you, because we need grace to deal with such things. Some people are just designed to irritate. Actually, what they're designed to do is to help you grow and become more like Jesus and grow in grace. But we all get irritated by people, and sometimes you find you start getting irritated more than you normally do by people and the little things around us. You think, why am I doing that? Where's that coming from? Well, it's the enemy distracting us. We start getting preoccupied with minor issues. (coughs) Do you do do that? The main thing is Jesus and his kingdom. We're getting preoccupied with this and that and what this person's done, what that person's done, what that person's doing, other things that are going on. Do you you ever do that? It kind of spoils the moment, spoils the now. (coughs) Excuse me. Maybe all sorts of rumors about what Jubilee may or may not be doing start going around. I've heard one or two of late, right? And you think, whoa, what's that about? Well, just don't listen to them. They're all rubbish, right? You, rumors are rubbish. Because rumors, if, if it was true, if there's something you needed to know, I'll tell you. It's as simple as that, right? Rumors are just works of the enemy. And, and they're fed by gossip. They're fed by, did you hear that? And we can't allow the enemy to, to have that. We can't afford to play his game. And I just, I felt God warn us. It comes from the pit of hell, actually. Gossip and all that, so it comes from the pit of hell. I, I remember when I first arrived at my previous church in Bedford uh, in 1995, and uh, it was, I think it was the first family meeting we had, and I shared a few things. Uh, it was about 
perhaps this number of people. It's a bigger church than this, so you know the the few that were there was about this number. And uh, and someone says, but we don't know if we can trust you or believe you. What's the hidden agenda? And I was utterly shocked. I was like astonished. I thought, why would you think I've got a hidden agenda? It doesn't compute in my brain. I assured them and I assure you today, I don't do hidden agendas. I avoid, try and avoid secrets as much as possible. People want to talk to me about things, I'll tell you where it's at. What I do when I come and preach, I kind of unzip and go, here's my heart and this is where I'm at and I'm working it out and I'm stumbling along, but come and join me. We're on a journey together. We don't do hidden agendas. We don't do secrets. As a leadership in Jubilee, we seek to be open and transparent in all our dealings and at the same time protect the church from things that will unsettle because things would. The enemy will fight dirty. He will seek to undermine trust. He will seek to cause us to worry and doubt. Uh, And the way we deal with such things is to keep them in the light. Bring light to it, okay? If you hear things that unsettle you and confuse you, come and talk to one of the elders, we, and, and we'll just tell you it as it is. We need to protect our peace, we need to protect our faith, and we need to protect our unity. All of those three things is what the enemy wants to spoil. And he ain't going to, because I won't let him. Amen. All right? See, we, have, we are more than conquerors in Christ. We are more than conquerors in Christ. We just don't allow him to play his games. He started right there at the beginning of the Bible. I think it's at Genesis chapter 3 where he says to Eve, did God really say you shouldn't eat from a certain tree? Did he? Did he? And what you then think, oh, perhaps, perhaps I was wrong. No, no, keep it in the light. Ask the question. Check it out. Life's pretty simple, really. Just let light shine, and the enemy's not go, not, got no room at all to make a mess of things. What I share with you, the rest, well, that's my heart, but what I share with you ongoing today is what's in here. And at one level, I'm further out on a faith limb than I've ever been before. On the other hand, what God has for us is so far beyond our natural abilities and resources that I'm kind of bursting with faith if that makes sense. I'm just bursting with faith and a bit scared. All right, just to encourage you. It's okay to feel these things, and I'm just being honest. It's vital as we move forward that we keep our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. He builds his church, and he leads us into all he has for Jubilee in the, in the future. And it's a good future. Yeah? Yes. Let's keep our eyes firmly fixed. And we need to keep our eyes looking at what God is doing. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. And we kind of think, oh, that was Jesus. No, no, we need to look and be aware of what God's doing in our day and our generation, and we put our focus and our attention there. And we work at it. So, my next point. That's not bad, it only took ten minutes. Gets longer from here on. (laughs) Prophetic fulfillment. Apologies if you were at the family meeting, you've heard some of this, but it's worth repeating. Hope it builds faith. Do you remember when Julian Adams was with us last December, end of November, December, with his team? Do you remember that? Some of you. Um, I believe it was a hugely significant weekend for us. And on the Saturday morning, Julian had a long prophetic word when he was with the wider leadership. And I then took, it was all about Jubilee, it went on for about 20 minutes. And then I took us through one Sunday morning, I think it was the 10th of March, if you remember, and I played him to you, and we listened to all he had to say. Uh, As part of that prophecy, he prophesied about us going to the nations, which we've begun to do. He also said it was promised land time, and that God was going to open up buildings for us. Well, it seems that that is what God is doing right now. So I'm going to read to you some of the prophetic that Julian brought uh, that we looked at on the 10th of March. It's very important, and it's on the screen, and uh, it will go through as I read it to you. I may stop and make the odd comment. So Julian said this, this is the beginning of December. He said, I felt that God wants to say to you in the next six to eight months, there is going to be favor around buildings, favor around buildings. Do you remember that was about eight months ago? Interesting. He says, where it's 
and where it's always like, almost like you've gone, we'll have to settle for where we're at. God says, suddenly I'm going to bring a, a turnaround. Suddenly the cloud's going to move. Suddenly the Red Sea's going to part, and you're going to be able to come into that which I have for you. And I feel God wants to say to you that this is the season of the promised land. This is the season of the promised land. So even as the people of Israel had to move from one place to another to get to the promised land, even so God says he will move you from one place to another. And I even feel like he's going, there's going to be a crossing of a river, a crossing of water. Just pause there for a moment. Let me say that over the years, Jubilee has moved from one place to another. And I think possibly he was prophesying into that. One of the problems with prophecy is sometimes timing and backwards and forwards all get muddled up. And I, I don't know for sure, but I just think Jubilee has had a history of moving from one place to another. Uh, also, I, I have no idea what crossing of the water means. Okay? But I leave it before God. It has some possibilities. He goes on, I see buildings opening up. I see significant places opening up for you, but it's almost like you're going to have to begin to think like promised land people. There was a mentality change as they came into the promised land. In the promised land, there was more than enough so that they couldn't think like they would just have enough for tomorrow or today. They had to think with more than enough mentality. And I believe that God wants to bring you into a more than enough mentality. Where there's been restriction around budget, where there's been restriction around finance, God is going to say, God is, is going to say this to you today, sons and daughters. I want you to think with the eye of faith again. And I want, you, I want you to propel and move into a place of radical faith. For I'm going to use you very significantly and shift the atmosphere around the poor and the broken. And financially, I'm going to use you to shift the atmosphere to be able to display what it's like to be a kingdom people and for you to get ready for that in this next season. And I feel like God's going to begin to take you to a new place where it's almost like the building I see is going to be very prominent. A prominent place, a place of hustle and bustle, in a place of moving and growing. There are going to be people around and it's going to be a significant place that God wants to give you so that you would have a voice in a significant place. I feel like God wants to say to you over this next season, I'm going to begin to unlock that which has been hidden. Last time I prophesied that over the students in 20s. It's time to pick up the old promises. It's time to begin to believe for the old promises because this, in this next season of promised land, there will be promises fulfilled. There will be promises fulfilled. I begin to see God opening up doors and God's going to begin to shift the wineskin. Whereas before it was about one or two people going to the nations, it's almost like in, the, in that season of apostolic advance with Jeremy, it was about one or two going to the nations. In this next season, it's going to be about a church going to the nations. It's going to be a people going to the nations. I see teams leaving from this place to go to the nations on short-term missions and establish them. I see key leaders and I see normal members working together on projects in different nations. This will be a church thing, and this will not simply be an individualistic thing. That's just part of the prophetic that Julian brought that day. And um, it's a bit of a ramble, actually, when you're trying to read somebody else's prophetic. But I think you've got it, and it's been on the screen. Anyway, a couple of months ago, and it's a couple of months where's Andy? Where's Andy Colclough? He's at the back. A couple of months ago, Andy Colclough discovered a building right in the middle uh, of Middlesbrough. It wasn't as though it hadn't been there. But he found it. Uh, it's like it suddenly appeared. <laughs> and uh, it used to be a nightclub. And um, it actually used to be two nightclubs, one upstairs and one downstairs. Uh, I think it used to be the... Is it, uh, what was the... Which cinema was it? The, Gold, the Hippodrome? Hippodrome. Uh, before that, it was a... No, nah, 1906 it was built. It, it, it was a theatre that would seat over 2,000 people. Anyway... It, it's around the corner from the far end of Linthorpe Road and around the corner from Hill Street Car Park and it has huge possibilities and here is the photo. And uh, I assure you I've been in there, that's large. That's very large. And um, it gets bigger every time I look at it and my faith has to get bigger. Okay. The rather interesting thing 
is that the, the Sunday, Andy showed me that, I think, on the Tuesday or the Thursday, uh, uh, when he sent it to me. And uh, the, the Sunday after, uh, I noticed during worship, Jean was, had a pencil out, was trying to draw something on a piece of paper. Now, Jean didn't know anything about this building. She'd not seen the picture. I hadn't talked to her. You'll always think I never talked to Jean, but it's often best not to in, in certain things. <laughs> Because she's prophetic, I just stifle things if I'm not careful. But Jean, Jean was sketching away on a piece of paper, and it looked like she was trying to draw a building. And when I asked her what she was doing, she said, well, I had a dream last night about a, a large red brick building, and I felt I should try and draw it. And, and Jean's no artist, but there you go. And um, isn't that exciting? Uh, the thing that got me was about it was this. It's, it's drawn from pretty much the same angle as the picture. If you could flip back one, Jackie, if that's doable. There you go. Notice the, the big glass front there on, on the end. It's got like three down, two edge pieces and, and two in the middle. And if you go forward one, that has something similar. I just thought that was remarkable. Um, not, as, not as a piece of art, you understand. But <laughs> it, it, no disrespect, but it was just remarkable. Uh, and having been through many things where Jean, with Jean over the years where she prophesied God was going to give us a building and he did and different things like that, I, I've learned to pay attention. So um, it, it could perhaps flick back one because it gives a better picture. We, we, can probably, we can probably get this building for something under half a million pounds, 500,000 um, pounds. But there will be much work required over the years to make it as we'd like it to be. Uh, it has huge possibilities, though. How's your faith? D do we dare we believe God to fulfill His promises or not? Mm -hmm. Okay. Our God is utterly reliable. What did Julian prophesy? To summarize, it's promised land time. There will need to be a change in our mentality from just enough to abundance. The building is right in the town in the midst of hustle and bustle, which it is. And the promise, this is the, this is the bit that gets me, the promise is for buildings, not just a building. So don't be limited. That's just the start of what God has for us. How's your faith? Okay, it's time to think with the eye of faith again. And I'm, I'm wrestling this through a little bit in prayer. I'm asking God about it. But, you know, somebody said to me, well, will you be really disappointed if you're going to get the building? Uh, a little bit, but actually it's not about buildings. It's about something far bigger that God's doing. But it does require buildings to do it. And this will do nicely for the first one. Okay? You all right with that? Yeah. Okay. My third point is miraculous provision. Because we're going to need some miraculous provision if we're going to see that building ours. We could do with spending another half million on it once we get it. But my philosophy is simple. When you're asking God for half a million, you may as well ask him for a whole million. Don't you think? Now, God's... I'm going to take you into something now that God's really been unpacking for me in the last little while and as I say, I'm, I'm out on a faith limb here. But ever since the beginning of the year, God's been speaking to me about the feeding of the 5,000 with five loaves and a couple of fish. You'll know I've, I've referred to it a, a number of times. I, I took a preach about it to Africa when we went to Tanzania because what I said to them in Tanzania was however much money we have it ain't enough for your need. The needs in Africa. Well, you think we have needs? Their needs are vast. Absolutely billions and billions of pounds. But their needs are just beyond anything we could do. Although we'd be classed as within the 5% richest people in the world, the needs in Africa are just incredible. So I took that there and uh, just to encourage them to believe God to multiply their provision. As I've been praying into this bit by bit, it seems 
God's opening up my understanding on the whole issue of how God wants to provide for us as we reach out to Teesside and beyond. So let's see if I can quicken your faith. Right back when the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness, God provided miraculously for them. We read the stories in the Bible, don't we? If you, do you read your Bible occasionally? Hallelujah. Read it. It's a good book. I recommend it. Very interesting. Some, so I want, so somebody not, not in this room said to me, um, what, what material are you using as you're going through Daniel? And I said, the Bible is pretty good. I, I, I'm, I'm just... I, I have researched some other stuff, but by and large, I let the Bible speak for itself. We, we don't need experts often. We just need the Holy Spirit to guide us. If you read the Bible with wisdom, with understanding, the Bible speaks for itself and quickens our faith. And I've been trying not to get caught up in all sorts of different types of teaching, but let the Bible speak for itself of late as I read it. In Exodus 16, the children of Israel start grumbling to Moses saying, we have no food. Remember, they've just come out of, uh, out of Egypt and they're, they're, they're in the wilderness and they've got no food. They said, God's brought, a, brought us out of Egypt. We were better off there. At least we had food. They grumbled. Do we ever grumble? Do, do you ever grumble and think, well, I preferred it when? I guarantee we get this building. Some people will grumble and say, I preferred it at Macmillan. Might have to go up some stairs there. There is a lift. But people grumble. The people of God grumble. The people of God seem to still grumble. Not me, of course, but everyone else. Do you grumble? Do you ever grumble? Oh, Raj frequently grumbles. <laughs> Great grace be to you. Then we read in in verse 4 of Exodus 16, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. When they tried to store it and save some for the next day, they found that the manna, called manna, the bread, it went moldy, was riddled with maggots. The only day they could gather manna for the next day was on the day before the Sabbath, so that they wouldn't have to gather it up on the Sabbath day. And still the people grumbled because they wanted meat to eat. Still they grumbled. We need, we've got no food. Here's some food. It's not the sort we want. Does that sound familiar? It's not very tasty. It's a bit boring. Ever, ever do that? I'd like to take you to Africa. It's a bit, some of the food's not quite all of, We did chicken and chips quite well, didn't we? Didn't know what else to eat, so we had chicken and chips. But we grumble so easily. But it seems to be the pattern for the people of God. They grumbled. We want meat as well. And so we read in verses 11 to 13 of the same chapter, the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Ha! Hallelujah! God even hears our grumbling. Doesn't that quicken your faith? Depends what you're saying, actually. He says, tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you'll be filled with bread then you will know that I am the Lord your God. Hmm. That evening, quail came and covered the camp. You want meat? Like God says, you want meat? Here's tons of the stuff. And you've got to catch these quail and kill these quail and cook these quail, and you're going to get it every day. And every day. And every day. Who's eating quail? Anybody eating quail? Wow. Wow. What, what, I, we 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 were in Turkey and, and it's, no, it's not. It's much. It's it's. There's not much on a quail. You understand? You need an awful lot of quail to have a meal. Uh, it's very tasty though. It's very nice. Anyway, they seem to have tons of this stuff. Until God provided bread in the morning, and He provided meat in the evening. And when they got to places where there was no water, God provided that too. It seems to me that. They lived with God providing just enough for each day. We see something of the heart of God here. E- even though the people were grumbling, hallelujah, and we do grumble at times, 
God still loves to provide for his people. You're not trying to twist his arm. It's God's delight to provide for his people. We need to know that. We need to believe that. Sometimes we ask God things. We're not convinced he wants to answer. We're not convinced he wants to bless. Do you believe God wants to bless you? As I've been preparing this, I've come to a, a level of faith and confidence greater than I've ever had before. I believe God wants to bless us. I believe with all my heart God wants to do us good. I believe God wants to provide for us even when we're grumpy, even when we're miserable. God says, you are my people and it's my delight to bless you. That's, that's, that excites me. You see, we often wonder if we've been good enough. We say we understand grace, but we don't. So we come to God and say, oh God, I know I've been grumbling, and I'm, but would you please, I need, I need this. And, and you're kind of torn between grumbling because he doesn't answer your prayer or being full of faith. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? And, or, or am I the only one who wrestles these things? And, and so you get caught up with, well, perhaps I haven't prayed enough, perhaps I haven't read my Bible enough, perhaps I haven't, I haven't, I haven't. Well, let me tell you, you haven't. Whatever it is, you haven't done enough. Because God's not motivated by what we do. God's motivated by his grace and what Jesus did. Okay? The issue is not how well you're behaving. The issue is where you're hidden. We are hidden in Christ. We are his people. And God wants to bless us because we're his people. Not because I've been especially good, I've prayed especially well, or I've read 16 chapters of the Bible today perish the thought. Sorry, if, if, you, if you're used to that, that's good, but, you know, I know Simon does, but... Are you with me? Do you, do you get that? Because we say, oh, that's all about God's grace, but we don't live in it. What we live in is a performance mindset that says, I need to behave better and then God will bless me. I need to earn it. I need to stop grumbling. I need to be perfect. I need to do, I need to do, and then God will bless me. Anybody ever live like that? Even leaders? Because we live in a performance-driven world. We live in a world that says, if you want to get, you've got to earn it. If you want to get, you've got to be good. If you want to get, you've got to prove you're worth it. Well, you're not good enough. You're not worth it. But God still in his grace has chosen us, made made us his children, and hidden us in Christ. And everything, everything that comes to us, everything that comes to us is on the basis of what Jesus has done at the cross. And therefore we can come to our Father, not on the basis of how well we're behaving or whether we're being grumpy or not, but on the basis of what Jesus has done. And the Father, his good pleasure is to answer our prayer. His good pleasure is to do us good. His good pleasure is to bless us. That's the truth. That's the That's the realm we live in all the time, 24-7. Whatever the enemy says, he huffs and puffs. Ooh. And when God starts to provide, he will do it in a way that's way beyond our natural abilities. Do you you ever ask God for something, but secretly you've got a way out? God, I, I need 300 pounds. Four but I've also got a credit card, God, so if you don't deliver, I'll do it anyway. Anybody? We kind of pray, but we have our own resources. We kind of pray, but have our own strategy. Do do we? We live in a world that teaches us to to find a way through, and I'm quite good, I've discovered, at juggling money. I'm quite good at playing the system. I'm quite good at... But there's nothing about it. Talk about faith. It's just about being clever at milking the system, or not milking the system, but being smart with the system. God doesn't perform like that. God wants to bless us. God wants to do us good. He wants to give us good gifts. The problem is we don't believe it. Well, I'm beginning to believe it. 64, and I'm just beginning to believe it. Isn't that desperate? You know, you guys are going off to, to Turkey... 
God wants to bless you, and he wants to prosper you. And it, you don't have to persuade him. He's his good pleasure to do that for you. Not because you've been especially good, or, and you are being obedient, and that brings blessing, but it, not even that, out of pure grace. You can expect it, because he's your dad. Yeah? That just, I, I just encourage you with that. I know when I finish this preach, people are going to accuse me of becoming a prosperity teacher, and, and I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going down there. Hopefully I'll explain. God wants to provide for us in such a way that's beyond our natural ability so that, so that our faith will grow. We become confident in our God and say, look, look what God can do. Only he can do those things. And you know what? He loves us. He loves us. He wants to provide for us on a daily basis, of course. In the model prayer that Jesus gave the disciples in Matthew 6, part of the way we are to pray is, Lord, give us our day, uh, today our daily bread, please. But even with all this provision, the people of God in the wilderness received. They received their daily bread. They received their daily meat. They received their water. God was with them in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. Amazing amazing. You'd think they were really full of faith then, wouldn't you? You'd go, wow, wow, God's here, wouldn't you? Well, that whole generation wandered in the desert for 40 years rather than enter the promised land because of lack of faith. We as Jubilee can stay here for the next 10 years and somebody else can lead you into the promised land, as it were, into the purposes of God if Jesus hasn't come again. But something in me doesn't want to settle for that. It'd be very easy for me to. There's something I've discerned as you get older. Degree of weariness. Just go, the relentless, the relentless nature of the dripping tap of, of life keeps saying to you, it's time to rest now. It's time to put your feet up. It's time to take it easy. It's time to, you know, let, let the younger generation have a go. And I'm glad to let them have a go. But you know what? There's some life in this thing yet. I, I ain't going to... Everybody keeps reminding me, you know, uh, Moses gets started when he's, he's 80. Abraham gets started when he's 80. Oh, I'm just a spring chicken then. But we've got to fight the fight of faith. Otherwise, we give in to expectation, what's normal. When Gene, I've told you this before, when Gene and I came here, some very senior leaders that I know said, at your age, I wouldn't be doing that. I'm thinking of my retirement. I was shocked. I was shocked, utterly shocked. I mean, well, how, can, how can you be thinking of your retirement? We're a, we're a people of God on a mission. It's not about age and stage. It's about purpose and calling and fulfillment and God's calling us as a people come on it's promised land time as a people jubilee to enter into some stuff that we're not into yet and it's not just about a building although building's part of it so what happened a whole generation wanders around wanders around wanders around. And then God raises up the next generation. And the next generation are full of faith. The next generation are different. And finally, this next generation, when the old generation had passed, by, passed on, this new generation finally enters into the promised land. This is a land flowing with milk and honey where there's always an abundance. No need for manna or quail anymore. I mean, imagine these people who were born in a desert in a generation where all they ate for 40 years was bread and quail. That's life. That's your paradigm. That's your worldview. That's all you eat. You wander around. You're eating bread in the morning and meat in the evening all your life. You grow up with that's your expectation. And suddenly, here before you is the promised land. And you're going into the promised land and you go, wow. Ugh. There's so much. There's fruit. There's oh, all these things. Honey. 
Ooh, I love it, honey. Right? It's suddenly it's a different world. No need for manner or quail. What is Julian prophesying over us? It's promised land time. It's time to enter into a new day with God for Jubilee Church Teesside. It's time to move from days of just enough to days of abundance. So what can prevent that? Only a lack of faith. Nothing else. No problem with God. He, he can, he's got limitless abundance. So what can prevent us entering in? Only a lack of faith. Now when we look into the New Testament read through the ministry of Jesus, some things have begun to grab my attention. And as we look at the miracles Jesus did, we see a principle of his coming kingdom at work that I believe he wants, to, wants us right now to live in the good of and minister out of. Interesting, Roger's talking about the wedding at Cana. So I want to start there. Jonathan, uh, Jonathan in John chapter 2, Jesus changes water into wine. Uh, He's in Cana of Galilee, and the wine runs out. We know the story. And it took some persuasion from Mary, his mother, before Jesus would get involved. But when he did, he changed around 150 gallons of water into wine. That's about 650 liters. Now, that's much more than just enough. Don't you think? Imagine going to a wedding, and you think, the the wine's run out, it's okay. And there's a miracle. Now we have 650 liters to consume, and it's the best. Happy days? (laughs) You're a teetotaler. I don't know how you get on with that, but I'm not even going there. It's much more than just enough. Then we have the feeding of the 5,000 in Matthew 14. Jesus tells us, sorry, Matthew, Matthew 14 tells us that it was 5,000 men plus women and children. That must be 10,000, lots of people. I won't read the whole story, but thousands of people had been with Jesus for quite a long time. The disciples wanted to send them away as they were all hungry. And we read from verse 15 of Matthew 14, As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place. And it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. There's a prophetic statement for the people of God. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. They answered, bring them here to me, he said. And he told the people to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish... And looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve baskets, basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Again, you see that much more here than just enough. It's, it's like 10,000 people, no, five loaves, two fish, everybody's fed, and there's baskets of food left over. That speaks of abundance, doesn't it? It's like Jesus saying, there's plenty more where that came from. I quite like that. Do you you like that? Go to a nice barbecue. And they run out. It's like Jesus saying, there's plenty more. It's limitless supply. It just fed 10,000 people, but it could have been 20, could have been 50,000. wouldn't really matter with Jesus because there's an abundance. There's always plenty. Wow. I've always been troubled by these 12 baskets that are left over. What for? Why? I mean, what about the star? You know, this is where we go. What about the poor? What about the starving? What about the hungry? There's plenty more where that came from. It's not a problem. Just... It's the heart of God. It's, it's abundance. It flows. I'm showing you the principle of the kingdom, Jesus says. Indeed, it seems Jesus was in the habit of doing such things because in Matthew 15, we read how he fed 4,000 people plus women and children with seven loaves and a few fish. And again, there were seven baskets of food left over. 
Abundance seems to be the norm with Jesus. I don't think we ever see Jesus providing just enough. Always abundant. There's something burning in my heart because I know this is the answer for Africa. I know this is the answer for Teesside. There's a thing in the kingdom that we have to get into which there's an abundance in God that's far more than just enough. And it requires faith to step into it, but I'm working on it. You see, this isn't just about food. There's a principle here that in God's kingdom there's always more than enough of everything to go around. We often miss out on both of those stories, the, you know, those food stories. We, we miss out bits. So in Luke's telling of the feeding of the 5,000, we read that in verse 11 of chapter 9, he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. 10,000 people? How many people needed healing, do you think? He healed. Bear in mind, this is a day when there's no antibiotics, you know, no modern medicine, all of that. There's 10,000 people. Probably a few thousand needed healing. It says, he healed those who needed healing. Wow. Probably took a little while. I don't think he did a blanket, be healed. I think he probably did it one at a time. Then in Matthew 15, we read this about the 4,000 who were fed, plus women and children. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. What a statement. And he healed them. Just like that. We always think about the bread, the, the, the food that's left over. And he healed them. The people were amazed. When they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking and blind saying, and they praised the God of Israel. Wow, more than enough. All that you need is found in him. Wow. Imagine Jesus healing them all. That would have taken a long time. I wonder how long it took. Well, the next verse tells us how long it took and why we have the miracle of the feeding of the 4,000 anyway. Verse 32, Jesus called the disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me for three days and have had nothing to eat. Three days. It wasn't self-imposed fasting. It wasn't like coming fast for Jesus. This was like, I want to be healed. I want to be taught. I want to be where God is. I want to learn about this kingdom. And they've been with him for three days, had nothing to eat. He says, I don't want to send them away hungry. Or they may collapse on the way. I certainly would have done. Jesus has been preaching, teaching, healing for three days. And then he feeds them. Plenty to go around. Over and over again, we read that Jesus healed everyone who came to him. Much more than just enough. <coughs> you can imagine in a room this size, backache and tummy ache and chronic conditions and all sorts of things, and, and, and Jesus, and then saying, anybody else? Plenty more. Who else needs healing? That's what I imagine. Certainly that sounds like the heart of God. More than enough healing available. More than enough food. More than enough provision. More than enough blessing. More than enough money. It's even possible for a lady who'd been bleeding for years to approach Jesus with faith and just touch his cloak in the crowd as everybody's touching him. And she's healed. You see, why? Because where Jesus is, the kingdom is. And in the kingdom, there's always more than enough to go around. Have you got it? More than enough. More than enough. That needs to be our mantra. More than enough. Do you get it? Oh, how are we going to do that? Well, I don't know, but there's always more than enough in the kingdom, and we're kingdom people, aren't we? I appreciate you're hearing this for the first time and I'm getting excited about it, but I, I, I want to live here. The only time Jesus was hindered in healing people was in his hometown, where we're, where we're told that people took offense at him. In Mark, uh, Mark 6, 5, we're told that he could only do 
he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. How's your faith? How's our faith? What was it Jesus taught his disciples to pray and teaches us the same? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We kind of push that away to when Jesus comes again. I don't think I don't see anywhere Jesus says that. He says, your kingdom people, this is the prayer. Why do you pray it? So that you can live in the good of it now. And then he tells us to go on to pray for our, our basic daily, daily needs. And Jesus came, he brought the kingdom of God with him. He's the king of a limitless kingdom. He's come up to people and say, the kingdom of God is near you. The kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God is here because wherever Jesus was, his kingdom, his kingdom rule, and all the provision of the kingdom was available to the people around. They could come, they could touch him, they could go just like that, they'd be healed because it was all about faith. It was realizing that and the kingdom of God is so different from the kingdom of this world and this new kingdom was breaking in. Jesus was coming in. This was what it was all about. He's the king of a limitless kingdom. He fed the hungry, he healed the sick, he set people free from demons, and then he commissioned us to go and do the same. What is the will of God? That his kingdom come on the earth as it is in heaven. So we're more than just, a, a just enough people, aren't we? We're not a people who go along, but we've got just enough. No, no, no. More than just enough food, more than just enough healing, more than just enough miracles, more than just enough money. As I've been preparing this and praying into it, we see something in, in, of this in Acts chapter 2 and then verse 4. You know, in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit's poured on the early church. And in 42, it says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to breaking of prayer, sorry, breaking of bread, bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe with the many wonders and signs performed by the, the apostles. Sounds like kingdoms breaking out. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold profit, property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, that, that, that's a scary place to join, but hey, the kingdom's breaking out, and I want a piece of that. I, I want to be in there. There's an abundance here. This isn't a scratchy little bunch of people trying to... This, this is a people where they're knowing blessing and provision and joy and liberty and healing and miracles all the time, every day. This is the norm. God, why did God add to their people daily? You'd have to be mad not to join them daily. I want a piece of that. Can I join? Of course you can. And then in Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 36, we read, All the believers were one in heart and mind. Nobody, no one claimed, claimed any of their possessions as their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And listen to this. This kind of exploded at me. And God's grace, his favor, that's what grace is, unmerited favor, was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. And God's favor was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. and was distributed, distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, at first glance, that you could say, well, that just seems like the richer were providing for the poorer, and to some extent that was true. However, I dare to suggest that the early church were learning to live in the abundance of the coming kingdom. They were learning that as they gave their equivalent to their loaves and fishes, 
some giving very small gifts and others very large, such as selling property and land. So the abundance of the kingdom of God was being released among the people of God, and God provided more and more and more for individuals and for families and for the church and for mission. That's what I see there. And today God is still at work providing for his people. We are a new covenant people. We are more than a just enough people. We're a people of the kingdom of God that has limitless abundance. After I'd been here nearly a year, Andy Merrick came and prophesied that God was calling us as a people to see the spirit of God, sorry, the spirit of poverty broken in Teesside. Do you, do you remember that? I remember when he brought it and I thought, oh, Lord, thank you. I'm thrilled. That's what I thought. How, how do you do that? Teesside. I mean, Teesside's pretty vast. How do we see the spirit of poverty broken in Teesside? And if you remember, he then said, now, to, as a start of a 10, really, God wants you to take up an offering and give it all away. Do you, do you remember? My heart sank. But we were obedient and we applied ourselves and we took up our offering of 40,000 pounds and give it all away. Because I believe when God speaks, you've got to walk in the good of it. It's the adventure of faith. And so we've been on that adventure of faith. Interestingly, it won't go away. That, that calling to break the spirit of poverty in Teesside won't go away. And we can water it down and say, well, of course, it's for the whole church. Well, I pray it is, but all I know is this. It was spoken to us, and therefore we can't get off by saying, well, it's for everybody. It's a calling for us here at Jubilee to see the spirit of poverty broken in Teesside. Two years later, to the very weekend, Julian Adams is with us, prophesying, I want you, from God, I want you to think with the eye of faith again. I want you to propel and move into a place of radical faith, for I'm going to use you very significantly and shift the atmosphere around the poor and the broken. And financially, I'm going to use you to shift the atmosphere to be able to display what it's like to be a kingdom people and for you to get ready for that in this next season. Oh. 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 When Andy Merrick came, we... We heard the word about taking up the offering and we, we used faith, didn't we? We gave it away. Every penny of that, 40,000 pounds, every penny went somewhere other than here. And you know, people have talked to me about it, other leaders have talked to me about it, and God blessed us and we, we had money come in and all sorts of things. It's been really good. And God blessed us and I have other leaders saying, will you come to our church and tell us the story of, of your obedience and how God... God blessed you, and you think, oh, yeah, yeah. And I, I did that up at Andy Merrick's church, and I did that at St. Barnabas' church. Is that it then? No. No, that isn't it then. That's just the start. The real adventure begins now. The real adventure begins now. It's time to be radical. I want you to think with the eye of faith again. You did it with 40,000 now I want to propel you and have you propel and move into a place of radical faith. Because God wants to use us very significantly and shift the atmosphere around the poor and the broken. And it's all to do with finance. Oh, Lord, how's your faith? You see, we can only exercise faith when God speaks. You cannot, faith is not what we imagine. Faith is not what we dream up. Faith has substance. It's far more than we, we, can, we, we can imagine. Faith responds to God and says yes to God. And so very much I feel I have to encourage us all to believe God for miracles of provision, personally, for our personal needs and for buildings, in our giving to the church. I encourage us to bring our loaves and fishes to the Lord for him to bless and to watch what he will do. I believe God wants us to bring the abundance of his kingdom to Teesside and beyond, nothing less. That would transform Teesside, wouldn't it? The abundance of the kingdom of God to Teesside. I believe that's the calling for us.
And in Matthew 24, 14, Jesus said, and this gospel of the kingdom, which is what I'm talking about, will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And Jesus makes the most amazing promises to us in the gospel of John. He says, very, John 14, 12 to 14, very truly I tell you, that means this is very important, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. What have we looked at? Jesus changed water into wine. He, he, he fed 10,000 and whatever, thousands of people. He healed everybody who came to him. This, this sticks in my throat a bit because he says, you will do greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. How's your faith? Does Jesus lie? Well, let's stir our faith and believe him then. We're going to have to wrestle this through. Not a quick fix. It's not something, oh, that's easy. All I know is this. I'm going to pray for more sick people than I've ever prayed for before. I'm going to try and become more radical in my finances than I've ever done before. I'm asking God to bless me personally because I believe he wants to. I'm asking God to bless us as as a church because I believe he wants to. I'm asking God to give us that building because I believe he wants to. I'm asking God to give us other buildings because I believe he wants to. Because I think he dares trust the people who will walk in faith before him. And we're not perfect and we may grumble on the way, but he still wants to bless us. It's where I'm living right now. It's a bit scary. But I love it. So even though it's holiday time, we will meet for prayer at 7 o'clock next Sunday evening. And we'll be asking God to give us that building and to give us other buildings too, I think. We'll be praying into all of this and saying, come on, God, we want to see your kingdom break out in Teesside. And the way it'll bring out in Teesside when I take it there when you take it there. It's not remote from us. It's us taking the kingdom there and bringing the blessing of God. We're going to set up a building fund. Seems a wise thing to do. We actually have £10 in the building fund right now. Hallelujah. I just think that's just like loaves and fish, isn't it? Got ten pounds, Lord, we could do with a million. That that that's all right. That's not a problem for God. But equally, I think there may be some more loaves and fishes to come in. Okay, so we we we're setting up a building fund. If if you want to give into it, then when you do, you put it in the offering on a Sunday. But please put it in an envelope, your own envelope, but or one of these that are over there on the table. But write on it, building fund, so it gets into the right place. We'll also probably have a, a gift day later in the year, I would think. We well, haven't arranged it yet, but I imagine that's where we're headed. And can I also respectfully remind you that any gifts that go into the building fund or gifts that go to any other ministries that flow out of Jubilee do need to be over and above our regular giving as part of our worship in tithes to the Lord into the life of Jubilee. Otherwise, we cease to function. We're about something far more than a building or about buildings. We're about bringing the kingdom of God to Teesside and beyond. Are you up for that? Because I'm done. And you've been very patient and I've been going for a whole hour. Is that all right? Have you got the feel of it? Now stand up. The band will come back. My, my feel is... I like to sort of do all sorts of ministry, but my feel is to let let this settle in your heart, in your mind. I'm going to pray for us because I'm going to pray that God keeps troubling every one of us with what I've shared today. That he brings it back to us in our memory. Don't let us forget. Is that all right? You okay me doing that? God, I, I thank you that Jubilee Church is yours. You've built it. 
You will build your church. I thank you you've done that and you're continuing to build us and I give you praise and I give you glory. And Lord, we don't despise the past. We thank you for it. We thank you for everywhere, all the places we've been and all the things we've done. We thank you for this building and what we have. But God, we sense the call to the promised land. We sense the call to a new adventure of faith. And I pray, Lord, you will trouble us with what I've shared in a good way. I pray you will quicken our faith. I pray you will bring it back into memory. I pray you'll provoke us to walk the walk of faith as we've not done before. I ask for an outbreak of provision. I ask for an outbreak of blessing, not because we deserve it, but because Jesus does. Because Jesus has, has dealt with all the stuff that would prevent it coming our way. Lord, we are your people and we're hidden in Jesus, your son. And Lord, we ask for an outbreak of blessing, an outbreak of provision, an outbreak of abundance into families, into individuals, into the church. God, I pray we're overwhelmed with it. I ask you start, and, and, and may lots of it be financial, but not just financial. I pray for miracle, miracles and healings. All sorts of incredible things begin to happen among the people of God just because we dare to believe you. Because you're God, and we're not. We bless you, Lord. We thank you for our time together. Rest upon us this week, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.